So one of the things that I, I really like about doing sermon series is that we get to focus around a theme, and it lets us explore that theme much more in depth. And so in this season, of course, many of us are familiar with certain biblical stories where Peter is the central character, right? He, he is that most famous disciple. But when we hear them all together, as we're going to do in these next six weeks, actually through Easter, when we hear them all together, instead of sprinkled throughout over the course of our lives, I think we begin to notice different details. We hear them. We see Peter differently. We relate to these details differently. And, and so maybe we will hear their their invitation, their life-giving good news for us differently. So again, this Lent, we are focusing in on the life and faith of Peter. As we'll discover as we circle in and around this season, in Peter, we see a person who is both steadfast and unsteady. We see a person who is a dear friend, and a betrayer. Peter is a follower, and he can't help but wander. As we focus in on Peter, circle around Peter's story throughout this season, we might just see something of ourselves. By following Peter's journey, we watch the story of Jesus unfold through the eyes of just a normal human trying to figure it all out, just like each of us. And so the hope is that as we meet Peter anew, we might also meet Jesus anew. Who is this Jesus that seeks Peter out? Who is the Jesus that would seek us out? He might not be, well, who we thought he was. He might just surprise us. But more than just listening to a story about someone else from long ago, watching it unfold from the safety of our pews, in this series I want to invite you to imagine yourself as Peter, as if you were the actor playing Peter. I want you to imagine yourself stepping into the middle of the story each week. Learn Peter's lines. Imagine his motives. Grapple with his questions, wonder about and hold space for his fears, his reactions. Feel the weight of his struggles, what he is trying to figure out, discern with his every move. The goal in this series is to to truly experience the story of Jesus, not simply to walk away with a an application, a life lesson, a moral learning, or something like that, but to get intimately caught up in the plot's unfolding. As Peter struggles to find his way forward, you might just find yourself also struggling to find your way forward. Because that's the thing. Just as Jesus sought out Peter, Jesus is seeking out you here and now. And that that is where this first scripture, where Peter's story and our own begins today. In the words of Come, O Fount, Jesus sought me. Now, Peter doesn't yet know this man named Jesus, not really when he arrives that day. He certainly doesn't know him as the Christ, 
the Messiah, he definitely does not see that person walking toward him as the Son of God. Perhaps Peter has heard this person's name before, but but Jesus hasn't really been on the public scene for very long, and even less so on Peter's radar. And so from the beginning, we see that Jesus doesn't seek out admirers, and it clearly is not even a prerequisite to already believe certain theological ideas about Jesus in order for him to seek you out. Peter doesn't. Again, at this point, Jesus is just pretty much another dude. In fact, as the story unfolds, Peter seems somewhat resistant to, even skeptical of this Jesus and what he says, what he does. We see that Jesus also doesn't seek out other religious leaders or community leaders. Did you notice that? I think that if we were to start a new church or if we were to think about how to grow a church today, many of us would think, well, we need to get some folks here who are somebody. That will attract others, right? We, we get the bankers, the professors, the, the, the business owners, the city leaders. We got to get some folks with a name who people will notice. And, and that's how you'll grow the church, right? That's how you'll attract others to follow you, right? But that's not who Jesus seeks out either. Jesus seeks out fishermen who would have been those with no formal education, the working poor we might call them today, who despite their hard work ethic are barely making ends meet. Fishermen were salt of the earth folks. They were not by any means community leaders in the way that most of us imagine them. In Jesus' day, fishing was not a well-regarded business, nor was it lucrative for those who did it. By the time that Jesus finds Peter and the others on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Roman Empire has implemented an extractive and exploitative system of taxation that effectively kept those who fished and farmed, like Peter, like most folks, at subsistence levels of living. Meanwhile, the taxes seemed to somehow flow upward like a mighty stream to finance the opulent living of rulers like King Herod Antipas in Galilee and above him, ultimately, the Roman emperor. And so no matter how hard one worked, there was no ladder to climb out of an increasingly destitute reality. As you may know, financial stress and uncertainty often triggers shame. I'm not able to provide. I'm struggling because I'm not enough. And shame can breed emotional volatility. Despair and desperation follow like a vice grip, squeezing you, leaving you hopeless, unable to imagine a future, cut off from possibility and increasingly from life itself. That is who Jesus seeks out that day on the shores of Galilee as they are cleaning their nets. You see, they're finishing up their workday before the sun has even reached its peak. They've been working all night in order to avoid the noonday heat. And more than just seeking Peter out, Jesus has the audacity to just walk right on up onto his boat 
and asks him to head back out onto the water. Now imagine Peter, if we're getting into this story, I imagine Peter looking around like, who does this guy think he is? Excuse me, sir. Get your own boat. Right? I, have, I wonder what exclamations, what questions, what feelings would have been rising up in Peter in that moment. Well, what would your reaction be if that was your boat at the end of an already weary work day, feeling hopeless? But that's how Jesus seeks us out. He's not particularly interested in pleasantries and niceties. His, his tap on the shoulder, as the great John Lewis put it, is meant to disrupt our lives. The plans that we have so well laid out for us in order to call us into something new. It's not meant to be particularly convenient, something we've put on the calendar for next week or a month from now. And that's kind of the point. But that, well, that's just where it begins. Having disrupted Peter's day, Jesus now asks for a favor. Could you uh, take me a few yards out from shore so I can speak to the crowd, this gathering? It's getting a little big here. Can you just give me a little space? <sighs> Fine, I imagine Peter thinking. Perhaps hoping that the sermon would be no more than 10 minutes, but Lord have mercy. You can imagine Jesus' sermons, well, none of them were 10 minutes. And he has the audacity to then turn to Peter again, having finished however long he was out there speaking to the crowds. But this time he doesn't even ask. This time he says, Peter, row out. Row out into deeper water. I want you to cast your net one more time. Seriously? Peter effectively responds. I already brought you out onto the water so you could do your little spiel. You've already disrupted my day enough. And now you're asking me to go all the way out again? I just cleaned my net. I have a job to finish up and a family to get home to, not to mention provide for. And if you haven't noticed, fishing isn't exactly an easy way to do that these days. Also, in case you didn't notice, despite being out all night... We've got nothing in our nets. I'm really not here for this, man. My life is already uncertain enough, hard enough. I am stressed out enough. What do you want from me? Also, what do you think that you know about fishing that I don't? But after relenting and protesting a bit, Peter offers once again a resigned, fine, if you say so. And they go out into deep water and they cast their net as Jesus called them to with absolutely zero expectations. And in doing so, discovered abundance precisely where there had only seemed to be scarcity. Discovered possibility just when they at their lowest point had all but given up. And in that moment, they heard a call from, to journey from where they've been and from what they've known to a new way of being, to a new life. 
You see, like Peter, Jesus seeks us out in the middle of our lives. We don't have to make a grand pilgrimage to go find God on a mountain or someplace else. Really, the way that God seeks us out is God comes to us in the midst of our ordinary lives, in the middle of it all, where it's most inconvenient, right where we least expect a divine encounter to take place, and which most of us will resist until somehow life reaches a moment where for all our excuses, all our protesting, for all the... I can't believe I'm going to do this. We simply find ourselves dropping our nets and falling into this river of grace because we know that we are drowning in whatever sea it is that we are, well, trying to swim in right now. Jesus meets us in the middle of our lives when our own decisions and forces beyond our control leave us desperate, when we are feeling hopeless when we cannot yet see a future worth living for, when we've become resigned to the chains that bind us, Jesus meets us at the shore on solid ground and calls us to go out into deep water, to go where we think we can exercise control, like those fishermen predict the outcomes. There's nothing in there, Jesus. But deep down, know that in that deep water, there is much beneath the surface that we cannot see, are perhaps afraid to find out. And as sturdy as the boat floor may seem, we know that Jesus has called us to go out to a place where we are not in control, and there to simply listen. I imagine that the naked vulnerability of this encounter with Jesus is what leads Peter to exclaim, Get away from me, Lord. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. I'm not enough. Whoa, no. Fearing that Jesus can see into his heart and that he will not like what he sees, Peter, in his shame, tries to push Jesus away. But Jesus is undeterred. He does see into Peter's heart. I think he knew what he was getting himself into when he walked up to Peter that day. Perhaps he's been watching Peter from afar. I don't know. And Perhaps Peter's familiarity with his own humanity, his willingness to admit his brokenness, is why Jesus seeks him out. Jesus doesn't call a perfect Peter. He doesn't look for perfect people. Peter is chosen not because people will look at him and say, wow, Jesus' disciples, those people that, that are with Jesus, they've really got it together. What, what's going on there? Let's go find out. Those are some good people. He calls a very human Peter just as he calls a very human you and me. And that is why I think Peter and the rest simply dropped their nets and followed him that day. That line, 
has always struck me. Does it, does it strike you? They just dropped their nets and followed Jesus, left everything. It seems kind of far-fetched, right? That's how I initially hear it. Unrealistic. Who does that? They need to ask any questions, like maybe where are you going? What's your plan? Who does that? This week I sat with that question. I wondered, who, who does that? And I wondered, what if that detail isn't metaphorical or unrealistic? What if that is actually how it happened? Who would do that? What must have been going on in their lives? And I sort of came back to where we started, which is to say, well, for one, people who were desperate. And the fishermen were desperate. For one, people who were at the end of their rope, people who felt the weight of a once bright future closing in on them, becoming overshadowed in uncertainty and poor prospects. People who have finally admitted to themselves that they are not in control, perhaps their, their ardent desire to be. Perhaps it is only in such moments in our lives that we actually have the potential to see with more than our eyes and hear with more than our ears. Perhaps it is only then when the well-worn ruts of our, well, increasingly dysfunctional rhythms that we cannot seem to escape when they have been disrupted have reached a breaking point that a new rhythm, a new way forward finally becomes possible. Perhaps this moment in deep water where we are no longer in control, where we find ourselves falling on our knees in shame like Peter, perhaps it's not the end of the journey as much as it might feel like it, but merely the truest beginning, the beginning of an altogether new future, one we could not have predicted for ourselves, one that if we're honest, we would not have chosen for ourselves, and yet if we are honest, despite knowing that it will ask much of us, that it will cost us dearly, we know that it's the only way forward, that it does offer a future with hope, a future where new life grows, a future worth living for. Friends, this Lent, wander and wonder alongside Peter. We don't need to idolize him. We don't need to villainize him. Simply humanize him. Let him be the fullness, the complicated, contradictory fullness that he is, that each of us is. And as you do, you might just discover grace and love. You might just discover God and faith and your ways, Lord.
teach me your path, the psalmist writes. Guide me in your truth, teach me. For you are God, my liberator, my savior. My hope is in you. May God bless you on your wandering journey.